0: Happy Easter! It is Easter Sunday. Incredible uh, opportunity for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb is empty, uh, and we're we're going to talk about that today. And I and I want to spend some time looking at the story of the resurrected Jesus, which is unsurprising, uh, and and a little bit about well, why does this? Why do we make such a big deal of this? Why does this really matter to us? You know, is Easter just a Christmas uh, kind of, cr- I guess, a poor man's Christmas tradition. We make a big deal Christmas, we celebrate it. Easter a few days off, but not quite as good as Christmas. Uh, I'm hoping that today that we'll see that the story of Easter, it changes everything. That the, the significance of it for our own lives uh, is, is, is huge. The significance, and what we're going to do is look at the first person to ever witness Jesus as he rises from the dead, Mary. We're going to look at this kind of story, these first people to see the tomb empty and the significance that it had for them, that that their life was never the same from that moment on. And in fact when we graph the magnitude and the different levels that it has for us, the the different ways that this story, the different layers of this story which we're going to look at reading John 19 together, we'll see that this changes everything for us and it's an incredible chance to celebrate but also as life-changing ramifications for us, for eternity. And so I want us to read John 20. And as we do, to the very best of your ability, I want you to try and put yourself in the scenario. It's hard. We're in South London, maybe, but to imagine that you're in kind of rural Israel, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, in this kind of... um, Rural terrain with uh, gravel paths and and trees and and, and caves and rocks. And to imagine that you are just like Mary or these first disciples as they come down to the tomb. As we read the passage, just try and put yourself there. Imagine you're there on this day after Jesus has been killed. And and, and we'll just place ourselves there and then we'll see what we can draw out of the story together. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 20, starting uh, at verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried away, if you've carried away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned, And said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers. Say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God. So we see in this interaction, and we're going to look at it in in three different ways, three things that we see through these interactions. The first is to say that this is a historical narrative. This is historical. Don't be deceived. This is not just a nice story, something that we just let the kids know about. Oh, Jesus rose again. This is an eyewitness account. John, who, who wrote... Uh, This was was there himself, as you've read about. He's the one who goes down with Peter and he is an eyewitness to it and he's recording what happened and he gives us loads of details to set the scene. First day of the week, Sunday, early in the morning, it was still dark. That means it was between probably 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and Mary has gone down, she's the first to go down to the grave. You know, Mary was one of the last to be there at the cross when Jesus died and now she's the first to go down. She's, she's loyal. She's the sort of person that you'd want in the trenches with you, Mary. She's, she's a ride or die. And she says, no, I'm, I'm going to go and she goes down to the grave maybe to lay some spices and, and some things to help with the smell down at the graveside, at the gravestone, sorry. But as she walks down and begins to see this cave, this stone has been rolled away. Now these stones were big, And they were quite easy to manoeuvre into place because they would have been, it would have been a big kind of circular-type stone, but it would have had like a groove in it um, that would have made it kind of slip into, to nestle into the the cut-out hole in the rock. A bit like sometimes you have like a coffee or a tea jar, kind of nice round, but underneath it is kind of like a thing that you, you click into place. Really easy to put in, but it actually would have taken several men or women to move that away. And so as soon as Mary is observed, this stone has been rolled away. She is alarmed. There's panic stations. What's happened? Has a a Roman legion come and taken them away? Is grave robbers? Are they still here? I don't know. So she flees. She goes back to get uh, the other disciples, Peter and John, and they come running. And then John gives us even more strange details they have nothing to do with the story, other than just to tell you that this is probably what happened. I.e., John is desperate to let us know that he won the race against Peter to get there. Twice he mentioned the disciple who gets there first. He's talking about himself. So he wants the history books to know I'm faster than Peter. Right? <laughs> I'm just, just to let you know. And I'm also the one who Jesus loved. I'd love to talk about ourselves in that way. And so he so he outruns Peter. He mentions it twice, just in case he didn't mention it. I'm sure he probably mentioned it a third time when he's battled the disciples. So I got there first. And then so he gives us these details. He gives us details that the linen cloths are, are all not there. The, the linen cloth's not on his face. He, he's been folded and put to the side. I, in fact, think that that's actually got something to do with the fact that when uh, earlier on in the Gospels, there's a story where Jesus raises a man called Lazarus from the dead. He's dead and they're weeping, and Jesus says, Come forth. And Lazarus comes out, but he's actually got the linen cloths on him. And people say, Tell him, Jesus says, Remove the linen cloths. Jesus wants to make it clear, I'm not rising from the dead in the same way Lazarus raised. Lazarus was raised, but he died again. This wasn't an eternal resurrection. Jesus has raised, but he's he's gonna ascend to glory. He's not going back in the grave. He's done with his linen cloths. He doesn't need them no more. They're folded, they put aside, they're gone. The grave clothes, he needs no more. And there's something in there for us. Sometimes when when you know Jesus, your grave clothes, they're gone. You leave them in there. And so the linen cloths are gone. Again, we get this historical account, we get the history that that they didn't really fully understand what was going on. Then John makes it plain, I believed that he's rose from the dead, but I don't get the full magnitude of what's going on. And then most importantly, the very fact that uh, this points to a historical narrative is that John makes it really clear it's a woman that found Jesus first, and that's important. People talk about this often at Easter. If you were trying to create a lie or a story or make-believe in first-century Judaism, you would have not have made your first witness to the resurrected Jesus a woman. Because in those days, unfortunately, shamefully, the testimony of women would have not been well regarded, particularly in a law court, particularly on a serious topic like that. You wouldn't take a testimony of a woman as first-hand. They would have said it was the men who found the women, who found the, the empty grave. But the fact that it's the woman points to the fact that this is, his, this is history. John is just saying what happened. He's not fabricating it, he's not making up fables or stories. He's telling you this is history. This is what happened on Resurrection Sunday. And so we get this beautiful historical narrative of the first ever Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen from the grave, the tomb is empty. But in the midst of all of this history, not only is it a historical narrative, the next part of the story, you realise that actually Easter Sunday is is, is very personal. It's a a personal story. You, You get this, as you keep on reading, you get this beautiful moment between Mary and Jesus because Peter and John, they've seen what they need to see and they've disappeared. They've gone back. But Mary stays and she weeps at the graveside because she still doesn't understand what's going on. And it says that as she's crying there, she sees two angels, and they say, "Where is she?" says at twelve days. Where is the body? I I need to know. I want to, you know. Mary would have been probably a mess just emotionally. Jesus has died. She spent the last two days in tears, in despair, and now the body's been taken. Where have they taken the body? And so she stays, and then what happens is she gets this beautiful, intimate moment where she sees Jesus. (laughs) Jesus then. Uh, speaks to her, she thinks she's the gardener. But then when Jesus says her name, Mary, suddenly she recognises him. Suddenly it clicks. Jesus he calls her name and she, she realises who he is. She cries out, Rabbaniah, teacher. Takes you back to John 10. We looked at that in this series where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know me and I know my sheep. They listen to my voice, I call them. Jesus is, is, is the one who knows Mary by name. He, In this beautiful, intimate, personal connection that we get, we see Jesus, just as he's risen from the dead, conquered the grave, defeated the power of sin and death, but he's saying, Mary. And Mary falls at his feet, she, she recognises him and. And friends, it's the same for us on this Easter story. This historical narrative is deeply personal for each one of us, because the Bible says that the Lord God knows you by name. He calls you by your name, and he invites you into a personal relationship with him, that he would be the shepherd and we would be his sheep. As he does with Mary here, he calls her by name, and she says, Rabbaniah teacher. She, she, rec- she recognizes who he is. He too says there's an opportunity, an invitation for us to hear his call and to recognize who he is. He wants to know you, he does know you, he created you, he made you, he wants relationship with you in the way he does with Mary. And not only that, it is just, have you ever thought about how incredible it is, that this is how Jesus chooses to come about his resurrection? Have you ever thought about how the fact that, who does Jesus first choose to reveal himself to? He has literally just defeated the power of death and he's risen from the dead. Who's going to be the first person that I reveal myself to? Is it the, the inner circle, Peter and James and John, uh, the most important ones? Or maybe I'll appear to a mass crowd first. I'll get everybody together. I'll get a whole group uh kind of orchestrated. Maybe a big temple square or a, a big the, the kind of temple courts. And I'll appear. Here I am, like Houdini or something. You know, I told you I was going to come back. No, he doesn't do it like that because he wants to indicate the sort of kingdom that he's going to usher in. It's going to be a a personal kingdom. He chooses to reveal himself to Mary. By the way, Mary, Mary Magdalene, from a small little fishing village, Magdalene would would have been um, considered an outcast, an outsider. She was once demon-possessed. Jesus has, uh, in his life, already set her free from her demon oppression. She was someone that was rejected, repulsed, no friends, no family, no husband, an outsider, the lowest of the low. Jesus comes to her, sets her free from her oppression, invites her to be a follower, lets her know that he loves her, is for her, forgives her for her sin and her mess, and now chooses, Mary, it's going to be you that I first reveal myself to. Incredible indication of the sort of person that Jesus is after, the sort of character, the sort of kingdom that he wants to usher in. This is not just for the highs and mighties, this is for the down and outs. This is for those that are on the outside as much as it is those on the inside. This is not about the most powerful, in fact, sometimes it's about the most needy. This is going to be the person who first sees the glory of the resurrection, a first century Jewish woman who was disregarded by everyone else. She's not disregarded by Jesus. In fact, no one is disregarded by Jesus, whoever they are, wherever they're from, whatever their background is, because he's the one who knows their names. He knows your name, and he wants to draw you in, in the way he draws Mary in here, and he invites her in the midst of this incredible story, this beautiful invitation from Jesus, from Mary, to walk with him, to know with him. And friends, it's the same with us. I keep saying it, we're invited to know him personally. We're invited to walk with him, to be with him. He's saying, listen, I've, I've dealt with your mess. As he comes out of that grave there, he, Mary, no, listen, I've dealt with your mess. I've dealt with your sin and your rubbish. I've forgiven you for all your wrongdoing. And, the, and there's an invitation for us too. The Bible says to repent and believe to turn away from your sin and your wrongdoing. All of us have wronged God. All of us have, have, have done things, have sinned, have done wrong to God, and there's an invitation, he says, despite the things you've done, there's an invitation, if you repent and believe, to follow me, to be forgiven by me, to have peace with me, to have relationship with me. This is what Jesus is ushering in. This is the kingdom that he's bringing about. This incredibly historical narrative that we've been talking about for 2,000 plus years is also deeply personal and has massive ramifications for you as an individual and for us, for anyone who chooses to accept Jesus as the resurrected Lord. But it also goes even beyond that. It's, it's, it's even more kind of radical than just being this personal thing because what happens in the interaction afterwards, you'll see that not only is it personal, it's actually Jesus wants this to be universal. This is what Jesus says. He, straight away afterwards of kind of recognising who he is, Jesus says to Mary, Do not cling to me. I've not ascended yet to the Father, but to go to my brother, say to him, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God you ever kind of wondered what this is about? Mary clings to Jesus and Jesus rebukes her and has a go at her. Why? What's Jesus getting at here? Why is is he kind of telling her, no you can't do that? I think there's 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 a couple of things here. One is because Jesus wants to let her know, listen Mary, this is not just about you and me. This, me, resi- the, the plan is not now, Mary. Listen, ah, oh, you know what? Why don't you and I sit down? Let's just spend a few hours catching up. I oh, must have been such a difficult few days for you. Let me just listen, we'll get a picnic out. We'll have a good catch up. How's it been? Oh, it was tough for me as well in the grave. I mean, day two, I didn't quite know if I was gonna make it. It was getting cold. Am I gonna have to pa- This is not what Jesus wants to do. This is not like a, a chit chat. Let's just catch up. He's saying no, this is more than just about me and you, Mary. You can't cling to me. This is, you can't keep me to yourself. What I've done now has huge ramifications for everyone else. Go and tell the brothers. This is not just for you. Go, notice he doesn't call them his disciples, he doesn't call them his workers, he doesn't call them his servants, his volunteers. My brothers, go and tell my brothers. And eventually, when Jesus gathers the brothers, what does he tell to them? Go and tell the world. This is not just about me and you, me and them. This is about everybody. What I've just accomplished in the grave, defeating the power of sin and death, crushing the the devil and death and defeating Satan, all that I've achieved is not just for an individual, it's not just for a small group, it's universal, it's for everybody. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus and this is gonna be for everyone. Jesus was no politician, but if he was, his slogan would have been for the many, not the few. This is for the many. There's an invitation wired out. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, don't cling to me. Because things are are not going to be the way they were. Because in some ways, there's another thing. Mary is maybe clinging to Jesus thinking, this is my Jesus. Jesus said, no, things are different to the way they once were, Mary. I'm not just Jesus anymore. I'm the resurrected king. I'm not the Jesus that you knew. I'm the Jesus that conquered the grave. I'm not the Jesus that you knew. I'm the Jesus who's, who's left the grave clothes behind. And, and there's a, something that must change. Easter is gonna change Mary's life. And in some ways, Jesus wanted to indicate in the, things, the way things were and not the way things are gonna be going forward. And some of us have been following Jesus and we have to always remember, when you come to know Jesus, things change. Things are not the same as they used to be. You leave the grave clothes behind. You leave certain things behind. You don't cling to what's gone. You let it go. We look forward, there's new life, there's new beginnings. There's new things on the horizon, and there was new things for Mary. Her life was about to change, but it wasn't just for her. It's for the brothers. It's for everybody. And Jesus says, go and tell them. Go and tell them. Go to them and let them know what's happening, what's changing. And so she does. There's going to be a new creation, a new way. Go and tell them, I've done what I said I'm going to do. I am who I said I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Go and tell them. The grave is empty. It's Resurrection Sunday. Go and tell them. And so she does. And just before we, we kind of close, have you ever noticed just even in this interaction, one of the things that has really struck me reading this passage is one the one Mary thinks that Jesus is the gardener. you ever, ever pondered on that? She thinks he's the gardener. And nowhere in the passage does Jesus correct her for saying he's the gardener and nowhere does John kind of indicate that there was a correction because although he's, she's not seeing him for who he is, in many ways Jesus actually, he is the gardener. Because that's where the story begins. The whole story of the Bible begins in the garden. It begins with, with God speaking into existence, Genesis 2, 8, that he creates a garden in the east in Eden and he creates this beautiful garden everything and he speaks life and existence into all things and then he causes Adam and Eve to tend and look after the garden but the serpent comes in and when the snake comes in with deceit and lies and deception and darkness and death and he leads Adam and Eve into sin and mess and so Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. And Adam does wrong, he's banished and he hides. But in that very moment there's a promise, there's a promise that though this has come in, there will be one, there's going to be one coming, a son who will crush the head of that snake, who will crush the head of the serpent once and for all. And so Jesus as he comes out of the grave, knowing that he's fully just done what he intended to do, he has crushed the head of the snake. He has defeated the power of sin and death. Where there was once darkness and death, he has brought light and life. And so he comes and he says in many ways, no, I am the gardener. I am the one that is gonna come and bring new life. I am the one who's gonna come and cultivate and where there was brokenness and where there was banishment, I'm gonna come and speak new life and new things. I'm going to come where Adam brought death and then hid. I've brought life and I want to make myself known to everybody. Jesus is the great gardener in this story. In fact, the the battles that he's won, even before he dies, is a battle that he, he fights in the Garden of Gethsemane as the gardener. There's, there's this theme, and so Mary begins to see it. And I think John is, is, is putting it in there for us in a way to try and make this connection. that Though there was once a great gardener, and that we were once in the garden, though we've been banished, now we're invited back in. Once there was death and destruction, now there's new life for us through this great gardener. And so Mary, she gets it, she sees it, and so Jesus sends her away. And she goes and it says, I love it because it says, Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. The the passage begins with this incredible announcement from John. He too says, I have seen the Lord. That's what he says in the very beginning. He says that after seeing, they have believed. After seeing, they have believed. And so there's an invitation for all of us. John saw and believed. Mary has seen the Lord and there's an invitation for you. Will you see the Lord? Will you see and believe? Because today there's an invitation of those that do, those that are in him, those that see the Lord, the Bible says they are in Christ. And we get promised that we too will have a resurrection body as Jesus has, that on the day of our death we too will be raised, that we're promised eternal life, that we're promised that we will stand before God and in that day we will not find judgment, we will not find uh, judgment from him. In fact, we will find peace with God, we'll find eternal life in him, both in this life and the next, that we too will be raised to enjoy God forever. And so on this Easter Sunday, I want to ask you that same question again. Will you see and believe the risen Lord, the great gardener, Jesus Christ? Will you receive the invitation from him to know you by name? To to pluck you out of this historical narrative, to this personal story, to receive Jesus, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus and to follow him, to hear him call your name, to invite you to know him. There's an invitation for each one of us as we celebrate Easter Sunday to know eternal life, to know Jesus, the resurrected King. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. This is... This this historical story, but deeply personal, and one that is so universal that is stretched even to us today in in sunny southeast London. Lord, all the way from Mary and that first day in Jerusalem, here we are today talking about it. this universal great news that Jesus Christ has risen, has defeated the power of sin and death, has paid for our sin. Our Lord, we're so grateful for all that you are and all that you've done. May we again see you and believe who you are, Lord, and what you've done. We pray in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Lord, on this Easter Sunday. Thanks be to God. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.